Hey, welcome to Life Church. We pray this blesses you and empowers you for your week ahead. We hope you enjoy this message. this morning. Come on. All right. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Do this. Before you sit down, before you sit down, I have absolutely loved our time together with your team and with your leaders. And uh, I I hope you feel this when you're in this place. Maybe you're here for the very first time and you're, you're feeling this. You're experiencing this for the very first time. You're in a place full of brothers and sisters that love Jesus, that have chosen to put him first and are following these precious families as they follow Jesus. And so I think for Pastor Jock and Shirley, Pastor Steve, would you put your hands together and thank the entire team for what they're doing to create a space. Oh, come on, listen. Every time, I hope you can feel it in this room, the life of Jesus. Every time you drive up to church, you see that big, that four letter word, life, up on that building. You should should remember that there is life for you, no matter what's happening out there, that we can come together. We can push pause on the rest of our world. We can worship Jesus and we can learn together. So can I do this before you're seated? Can I just pray for you before we open God's word, before we spend a few moments? Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you talk to hearts? Would my words become your words? Would you speak to us each in our own unique situation? Lord, we all carry different things in this room. Some of us are in a season of joy and things are wonderful. God, we return that joy to you. Some of us are in a season of need. And God, we lay that need at your feet and we just ask, would you be our great provider? Would you meet us? Would you talk to us? And God, above all else, don't leave us the same. Encourage us, build us, strengthen us so we walk out of these doors different than we walked in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Do this, would you spread some joy in this room? Tell somebody hi. All right. All right, make somebody smile. Make somebody smile next to you. Lie to them if you have to and tell them you look good. And then have a seat. All right. All right. All right, I came this morning uh, to give you a very simple but hopefully impactful word that I believe God put on my heart for this house. And I want to talk to you this morning about hope. Somebody say hope. hope. Listen, hope is one of the most necessary things for the human heart. You can't move forward without hope. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that hope is the beginning of our faith. Everything that we look to God for starts with hope. It says that our faith is the substance of the things we hope for. If we have no hope, we can't have faith. If we have no hope, we can't follow God. But maybe you've learned this. In fact, psychologists tell us this, that when life is difficult, if you can just increase your hope a little bit, your confident expectation in the future, if you can turn that up just a little bit, more things are possible, even if there are difficult circumstances around you. But have you figured this out? Hope leaks. Have you learned this? Life has a way of 
punching holes in your heart and causing your hope to leak? Have you gotten bad news recently? Maybe as Steve was saying, maybe you're driving past the petrol station and you go, oh no, what's going on? Maybe it's in the government, maybe it's in the economy. I don't need to rehash the last two years. Has anybody been asleep the last two years and missed all the bad news? Do you want me to tell you all about it? No, you don't need me to tell you all about it, you know that it's like layer after layer after layer, like too many blankets on a hot night and you start to get sweaty, you know what I'm talking about? It's like how much more bad news can we take? Life by itself does not provide you with hope. In fact, if you lean on life for your hope, you will be disappointed. Life steals your hope. So how do we find hope? Is there a tip? Is there a trick? Is there a technique to finding hope? Or is hope actually an inside job where something on the inside of me has to change in order to be able to look to the future with a confident expectation? Uh, a couple of uh, months ago, uh, I got vertigo. Anybody ever had vertigo? You know what this is? Okay, so growing up, uh, I heard people talk about vertigo. I thought, how big of a deal can it be? I thought vertigo was an Alfred Hitchcock movie or something that happened when you like went up to a tall, store, uh, you know, a tall building real fast or or, or something like that, and maybe, maybe, oh, come on, maybe you get a little dizzy. How bad could vertigo be until I got it? Okay, I, here's what happened. I was plugging my phone in next to my bed, and I leaned over about this far, and when I stood back up, the whole room started to spin. I didn't know what was happening to me. I literally, it was so bad, I hit the floor, went into a fetal position, and started yelling for my wife. You know, really manly stuff. And I started yelling for my wife, Sarah, Sarah, something is happening to me and I don't know what it is. I didn't know if I was having a stroke. I didn't know if Jesus was taking me home. I didn't know what was going on. And so at that moment, I started to do what happens when you get really dizzy. I won't describe it for you, uh, but things started leaving my body very quickly. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about. And not just from one end. Oh, dear Lord, help us. It was awful. I, I, I literally lost control of everything. I was nauseous and sick, but not just for a moment for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, all night long I was sick. And so my wife did what any good wife would do. She got on Google and she started going, okay, okay, how, what do you do when, when, when your husband has vertigo uh, besides tell him to stop being a baby? Like, what do you do? And so she, she started calling friends. What, what, what do I do? My, my husband has vertigo. And there's a, there's a, a trick. Uh, when you have vertigo, my, my wife found out and she said she came into the room. Now keep in mind, I am throwing up, I'm on the floor in a fetal position. I couldn't leave this one square of ground that I was on. And my wife came in and she said, okay, I've talked to some of our friends that have had vertigo and there's a maneuver that you have to do to get rid of vertigo. And I said, Maneuver, like a maneuver is something that a professional does. A maneuver is something that a highly trained Air Force pilot does in an aircraft. I can't do a maneuver. I can't even leave this, this ground. And she said, here's the maneuver, okay? The maneuver that you have to do. You have to get on the bed. You have to lay down. Keep in mind, I can't even stand up at this point. You have to lay down, hang your head over the bed, upside down, somebody, and you have to then, I'm gonna take your head and I'm gonna spin it around. I said, whose idea was this? So we tried it, 
And I, the second we started spinning my head around, I would throw up again, and so we'd stop, and I, I would calm down. She said, you gotta do the maneuver. Baby, you gotta do the maneuver. So I, I'm trying to do the maneuver, but I'm not, I'm not Maverick. This isn't Top Gun. I don't know what I'm doing. Turn, lean over the bed, do the maneuver. The maneuver, gotta do a maneuver. Trying to do a maneuver while I'm throwing up into a doggy bag. The maneuver, you gotta do the maneuver. Just gotta maneuver right, gotta get the, I'm doing the maneuver wrong. I don't know how the maneuver works. I've never seen anybody do the maneuver before. So I'm trying to do it, she's spinning my head around. Finally, uh, by the grace of God, the sun came up. She walked me, literally put a blindfold on me because I was so dizzy and the room's spinning, can't see straight. She put a blindfold on me, put me in the car. We drive to the doctor. We sit in the doctor's office for way too long. Finally, the doctor sees me, an, an, an inner ear doctor special because here's the theory of the maneuver. The theory of the maneuver is that you have little crystals in your ear. Now that sounds like something like made up, right? That sounds like something science fiction, but there's these little crystals in your ear. And when they get dislodged, it disorients you, right? And this is where the dizziness comes from. So the maneuver is to put the crystals back in the right spot. You following me? Okay, so I go in and I see the doctor and I say, I can't do the maneuver. I'm trying, we've tried it for all night long and I can't get it right. And the doctor looks at me and she does the test and she says, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is you don't have any of those crystal things. To which I looked at my wife and I said, what? I've been doing the maneuver all night trying to get these crystals back in the right spot. She said, you, you don't have any of that. The maneuver won't fix anything. You have a virus. The virus attacks your inner ear and the virus is actually already gone from your body. The vertigo doesn't hit until the virus is leaving. There's nothing we can do but wait it out. And I thought, how long is that gonna take? And it took a while, but here's, here's the big idea. Don't ever listen to your wife when she tells you to do a maneuver. <laughs> that's, the, that's the moral of the story. Also helpful moral of the story is this. Sometimes there are things in life we're trying to fix with a maneuver that can't fix the problem because an outside solution can't fix an inside problem. Hope is an inside issue. But here's what I find. When people lose hope in their marriage, they, they try to find a, trip or a, a trick or, or, or a tip, a maneuver, to try to fix their marriage because maybe there was something that worked for somebody else, but, but, but hope, a confident expectation that something good is possible in the future doesn't come from anything out here, it comes from in here. So I wanna give you three things that you can check this morning. These aren't the only three things, but these are three really big things to check on the inside to see if you're doing these things because these things will produce hope in your life. Hope is a byproduct of some things that God has given us that if we will do these things, hope will grow. But let me read this verse to you from uh, Psalm chapter 65. If you have a Bible, you can, you can grab it, you can pull it out. Uh, so, sorry, Psalm 62. We're gonna turn to Psalm 62, verse five. And it says this. It says, oh, I must find rest in God only. Now that doesn't mean other things can't help you rest. But only God can produce a heart that's at rest, a heart free from anxiety, fear, and depression. And then the psalmist says this, because my hope comes from him. Your hope, your, when you look at your future, 
Your view of the future won't be built strong and steady if you look at the government, if you look at the economy. Your confidence and your hope can only come from God. And here's why this matters so much to me. Let's finish this verse. Only God is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I will not be shaken. The reason your hope matters so much to me personally is because God needs a bunch of unshakable people to be an example to the watching world to say there is a better way. You don't have to live life upside down, in turmoil, broken and hurting. There is a better way. But if you don't have hope and you don't have, you're not filled you're gonna have a really hard time living the life God's called you to live or being a blessing to anybody else. So here's my question for you this morning. How's your hope, your, your, your hope personally? Not the church, not your city, not your world, just you. Just, I just want you to be you for a second. You, your marriage, your family, however you walked in this morning. If your life had a dashboard and it had a, a speedometer, how high or low is your hope this morning? Three ways that I think God gives us to help get our hope up. These aren't the only three things, but these are three things. Uh, anybody uh, work on cars, you restore cars. I love watching like, master mechanics restore old cars. In fact, I have a dream car that my, we have two boys, they're about to leave the house and my wife and I are about to be alone and we can party, baby. And so my, I have a dream car that my wife and I are gonna have and we're gonna cruise down the road. We're gonna get ice cream with the top down, baby. And so I love watching people restore old cars, but often old cars don't work. Have you figured this out? Maybe you have one. You're like, that was me this morning. It didn't quite start. When a car doesn't start, there could be lots of problems, but there's always a couple that mechanics will check first. How's the battery? How's the fuel, right? Those things are the biggest things to check. Here are three things that I want you to check in your life because these three things will always produce hope. And the first is scripture. Now, I know that may, I know that may sound exactly like what you would expect a preacher to say, okay? But here's, here's the truth. If I can only get lasting hope from God, then I better know what God says and how God thinks, yes? But here's the problem that I find with many Christians today, is they are living on secondhand scripture. Meaning that when, if, if somebody posts something on Instagram, they'll like it. Anybody have a friend that posts a little scripture with a little sunset in the background and it says, great is thy faithfulness. Right, and you feel like, I just, I just read the Bible. I just had some time. No, you didn't. No, they did, and they posted what they got out of it, but the, you didn't have time with God. Okay, the Bible often is talked about like bread or food. Put this word in you, digest it, meditate on it, so that you can have a diet of God's word. But here's how, here's how nutrition works. There is no such thing in our world as secondhand nutrition. You can get a lot of things secondhand. You can get secondhand smoke. You can get uh, secondhand wisdom. You can be in the room. I could be in the room if Jock and Shirley are talking and they can, two, listen, two of the smartest people in the world. You, you walk in the room with them and you're just like, I just wanna listen to you talk for a little bit. I can get secondhand wisdom, but you know what I can't get from them? Secondhand nutrition. Jock ate this morning. You know how many calories I got from what Jock ate this morning? Zero. 
Some of you are like, I'm on a diet. That's good news, everybody. All right, so, so let me, with a lot of ways we could illustrate it, but let's illustrate it this way. Okay, so these guys are awesome. They put in my room chocolate when we got to our room. Anybody, listen, sometimes what you need for hope is chocolate. Let's be honest. So I walked in my room. Now I just want, just for, so I'm on, I'm on kind of a diet. I'm not supposed to be eating chocolate, but I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna eat a bite of this this morning. Is that all right? Anybody hungry? Anybody need some food? Anybody gonna go to Nando's after this? Nando's, anybody gonna go get some chicken after this? Just like, oh, that's awesome. Listen, if I open this, I just go, oh, you know that smell when you first open chocolate? It's just like that's heaven on earth. Now, here's what I love. Here's what I love. They, they double wrap these bueno, these Kinder Buenos so that you really have to make a conscious decision. You did not accidentally eat chocolate. All right. Oh. Anybody find that chocolate, just that, just those extra like hormones and chocolate, they just make you happy, right? So if I eat this, Oh, so I'm not supposed to be eating sugar. This is a big moment for me, everybody. I'm, thank you for inviting me here so I could eat sugar. <laughs> I just love it. No. Oh, so chocolate. All right. Mm. Oh, that's good. Great is thy faithfulness. Mm. Okay. All right, so here's the way chocolate works. All food works this way. If I go, Jock. Aren't you glad we ate that chocolate? You would go, no, you ate that chocolate. And here's what I know about Kinder Bueno. There's two in there and you didn't offer me one. You ate it all. Okay, here's the way nutrition works. You can watch me eat this all day. You know what you're gonna get from it? Jealous, that's it, that's it. That's all you will get. Here's the problem. If you approach this like that, you'll go, I went to church. Aren't you glad we ate this? Kind of, yes, we did. We studied, you were encouraged. I can't eat this for you. Your pastors, your family, your mom, doesn't matter how holy your grandma was, she can't eat this for you. You have to eat it for yourself. But when you begin to diet on this, here's what happens. In fact, Steve just said it a minute ago, didn't he? Sometimes when you need hope, did I lose my phone? No, here it is. Okay, good. That's good. You don't want to lose your, your phone in another country. Okay. Sometimes I have to put this down and pick this up, right? If your hope isn't starting and your future is not bright and you're discouraged about your kids and your job, take a second, put that down and pick this up, okay? But here's what you already know. It's one thing to read this, it's another to do it. So, God gives us scripture, and then what he asks for is the second thing for us to check, and that is obedience. So, all through the Bible, one of the themes over and over again is that it is the doing of this that actually makes the difference in your life. It is good to know it, but that's only half the battle. You have to do it. Isn't this what Jesus said about in Matthew chapter seven about the two houses that were built by two different people? One on sand that would fall and one on rock that would stand. This is what Jesus said. Anybody who hears these words of mine and does them will be like somebody that built their house on the rock, unshakable. Why do we need hope to be unshakable? How do we get hope? Knowing the scripture, dieting on it, and then doing it. But you and I live in a culture. Here's the problem with obedience. Obedience costs you something. Have you learned this? 
Obedience means that I no longer sit on the throne of my heart, Jesus does. So Jesus' ways become my ways. He becomes not just my savior saving me from a past, but he becomes Lord launching me into a new future. I now have a new king and I live in a new kingdom. This means that everything God asks, I say yes. Yes, I wanna do things your way. Now here's, how that, here's why this matters, because often, you will find yourself, and I guarantee you, you have family members or friends like this. They will look at you and it will feel like you're living upside down compared to them. You give money to Jesus? You can't even see him. You need more money, not less, but you're giving it a, why? Because that's God's way. But often, obedience costs us our own preferences and our own way of doing things, we have to lay that down and do things God's ways. Here's why that matters. God's ways always lead to God's life. You can't separate the life that we want from God and God's ways. If you want more of God's life anywhere, walk in more of God's ways. Okay. Let me, let me illustrate this way. Okay. I asked the team for a bicycle and this is what they got me. Look at what they think of me. I'm a big boy now, baby. This bike doesn't even have pedals. Come on, somebody. But now, to be fair, I asked for a really small bike. Now, I understand. Is Aaron in here? Is Aaron here? Okay, I understand. This is Jackson's bike, right? So I'm not going to break Jackson's bike. Okay, so I want to ride this so bad this morning, but I'm not going to do it because partly I don't want to embarrass my boys. They might disown me, and also I don't want to break Jackson's bike. But I want you to imagine for a second that I, that, have you done this with your kids? You, you've given them a bicycle, right? You say, you need to learn how to ride a bike. Every good parent teaches their kids how to ride a bike. And so if you have a bike, you give it to your kids and, and you know the riding the bike moment, right? You, you take them out, you, you push them on the bike and they, they, they drive off and they fall over and they skin their elbows and they skin their knees and eventually they learn to ride the bike, right? Uh, today, you know, we put helmets and pads and shoulder pads and everything on. When, when I was growing up, my parents just found the steepest hill and pushed me down, right? Just, Okay, but I want you to imagine for a second, I give my boys this bike and I walk in the front yard and they have this bike upside down and they're playing with it. Did anybody do this when you were little? You, you know, you, you, you play mechanic or whatever and you're playing with the bike upside down. Now that's okay for a moment, but that's not what the bike was made for, right? So if I, I want you to imagine that I'm, I'm in the house and I see my boys playing with this and then they try to get on the bike and ride it upside down. What do you already know about that? That's gonna hurt and you're not gonna get anywhere, yes? But imagine I came out and I told my son, hey buddy, let's, let's flip that bike over. Let's get that going the right way. And imagine my son gets angry with me for giving him instruction about how to ride the bike. Say, why do you hate me, dad? Why can't you just let me do this however I want to do it? Don't you love me? What would my answer be? Of course I love you. That's why I gave you the bike. I want you to enjoy it. I gave it to you because I love you. But there's a way that it works. If you use it the wrong way, it's going to cause you pain and you're never going to get anywhere. So many people are using God's world upside down and they're wondering why it hurts and they're not getting anywhere. And so God comes along and he says, let me tell you how I made the world. When God gives us stuff to do or not do, 
He's not doing it because he hates us or he's mad at us or he doesn't want us to enjoy it. He's doing it, this entire book. Do you know what this is? This is a description of how things work God's way. This is how I made marriage. This is how I made identity. This is how I made sexuality. This is how I made money to work. This is how I made friendship to work. And so our time here is to discover how God's world works so that we can turn it right side up and actually get somewhere without the pain and the regret. Make sense? So when you're discouraged, or if you have someone in your life that's, that's in a tough season, what we're looking for is how does God's way and God's world flip that right side up? Okay, so if I start thinking different thoughts and, and living a different way. See, Christianity is not a religion to make God happy. It is a following of the God of life who made life to be lived full of grace and joy and hope so that we can move forward. You were made for Eden. You were made for eternity with Jesus. You were not made for a world that breaks your heart and crushes you and beats you down and bruises your soul. And so God says, oh, if you live my way, even when the rest of the world is trying to figure things out, you're gonna thrive, baby. You can, you can have a marriage, even if you come from generations of brokenness, you can have a marriage that thrives. Even if your parents were awful, miserable, abusive, and your home was broken, your kids can have a different story. You can break that. Because God has a way for us to move forward. Last thought, last thing to check. As we're learning, we're going, okay, God, this is how you think. Now, this is what I'm gonna do out of that. There's always a gap, isn't there? between saying yes and seeing the harvest, between planting seeds of obedience and watching God do his part. There's always a gap. What do you do? What do you do? God has given us a tool for that gap and the tool is worship. You see, worship works this way. Worship is the thing I can do when I can't do anything else. Worship is the thing that reorients my perspective. So worship is the way. The reason that we worship when we gather together is not because, you know, uh, Jock couldn't think of any other way to start the service. How are we gonna start the service this time? I don't know, I guess we'll sing again. That's not what worship is. Worship is the way that I turn everything else off and I say, okay, God, this waiting season is difficult. I don't know exactly what to, what to do. I don't know how you're gonna work this all together for my good. I don't see it yet, but I know you're working. Specifically, in seasons when your heart is most hurting, you should worship the most. Let me, let me read this verse to you from Isaiah. Isaiah said this about worship. He was actually, uh, he was actually talking about Jesus uh, when he wrote this down. This is both prophetic, so this is both a word to Israel in this moment. This was a prophet of Israel speaking to God's people in that moment, but it was also prophetic about what Jesus would do for all of his people. And he says this is when Jesus shows up, Isaiah chapter 61, he's gonna, he's gonna make a trade with us. Here's the, here's the trade. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna comfort 
all those who mourn, verse two says. I'm gonna give unto them beauty for ashes. When all you have is ashes, God offers a trade. Would you let me do something beautiful? Would you let me resurrect new life from those things that have been burned down and broken? I'm gonna give you the oil of joy for mourning and I'm gonna give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When your spirit is heavy, God gives you something in exchange, something tangible. Here's what I love about God. God doesn't ever just live in the, in the, the theoretical. All through the Bible, God gives us real world stuff that we can do. We don't just follow a God of ideas. We follow a God that meets us here and now. Praise, worship is a tangible thing that I can do when I feel helpless everywhere else. And God describes worship like a garment. Now this is interesting. If I, if I was gonna offer you a cure for what was heaviest on your heart, I don't think I would describe the cure for a heavy heart as a jacket. That feels like two completely different worlds, doesn't it? Like, wouldn't it be a medicine? Wouldn't it be, uh, 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 I don't know, a stack of money? I don't know, anything that would encourage me. But, but why are God, why are you offering me a jacket? Okay, here's the picture. Uh, can anybody have a jacket that I could borrow? Anybody have a jacket? You got one, Jock? Oh, you guys are awesome. I'm gonna use this. This is, this is too good to pass up right here. This is beautiful. Look at this, everybody. Oh, man. Oh, this is nice, man. This is, this is, wow, okay, so this, listen, I promise I'm gonna give this back, maybe, okay. Don't, don't worry, this is gonna be the most blessed jacket in your closet. We're gonna pray over this, oh, come on. Every time, listen, every time, every time you wear this jacket from here on out, there's gonna be a parking spot just right there for you. It's just like, it's just gonna open up, all right. So he says, this is worship. This is worship, this is worship. now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Okay, but let me ask you a couple of obvious questions about a jacket, a coat. It's not a trick question. Why do you wear this? Because you're cold. It's cold. I need something to go between me and the circumstance around me. So we put, I'm gonna put this on, okay. I don't wanna, I don't, listen, I, I love you too much. I'm not gonna, I mean, come on. I don't wanna pop any seams, everybody. All right, so it's, it's all right. oh man. Oh yeah, the inside of this is all satiny and nice. That's nice right there. Okay, so when you put a jacket on, you're putting a jacket on because the area around you is untenable without something with you. I can't survive in this without something else around me. If you were to parachute, Okay, uh, the, so uh, if you go skiing and you go to the, the where, where would we go from here? We'd go, we'd go to probably to France. We'd go to, oh, come on, that sounds awesome. We have Colorado, you guys have France, ooh la la. Okay, so we go to France and we go skiing. What do you need when you go skiing? Ski gear, right? You gotta have stuff, why? Because if we were to take the same person without the ski gear, and drop them on the mountain in flip-flops and a tank top, they wouldn't survive, would they? Literally, they would die, okay? But watch what happens. One thing, one thing. 
a jacket turns the mountain that would kill me into a playground that I will pay money to go play on. One person is dying, the other person is thriving. One person is trying to survive, the other person's sloshing down the mountain with a big smile on their face, getting a cup of hot chocolate. How is that possible? They're, they're clothed for it. They're dressed for it. Here's what worship does. When those circumstances around you aren't possible for you to survive on your own, you put on worship. There are a lot of places in the Bible that you have to work to understand God. You go, God, I, I, I don't know what you're doing here. Worship is not one of those. From the very beginning of the story till the very end, God goes out of his way to tell us how, po how powerful worship is. He says this, he says, you're gonna, to the nation of Israel, the very first city that you're gonna capture, you're not gonna capture it using swords or an army. You're gonna march around that city and you're gonna make a noise and the God of heaven is gonna intervene on your behalf. When Paul and Silas are in jail, in shackles, they have nowhere to go. The very first apostles trying to figure out, God, we're following you, but we're in prison. But I know you're not done with our story. So what do they start to do? They start to worship. Why? Worship is something I can put on wherever I am. Nobody else controls it. The devil can't control it. Your enemy can't control it. Your circumstances, your bank account can't control it. When you're overwhelmed and your heart is heavy, you begin to worship and you say, God, I don't know how you're gonna do this. I don't know how you're gonna work this on my behalf, but I've searched the world and there is nothing like you. There is nothing else that can satisfy my soul. There's nothing else that can build me up. Now, here's what you already know about a jacket. Last thought, not a trick question. Does the jacket put itself on? No, you didn't walk out this morning. No, you wouldn't walk out this morning and your favorite sweater wasn't in your closet going, pick me, pick me, right? Your worship, just like a jacket, will sit. God won't force it. He offers it. He holds it out like a maitre d' at a restaurant. Let's put it on. Let's, let's come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Oh, let your soul find its hope in me. Would you be filled again with my goodness and with my presence? Would you let me sustain you in the middle when you don't know how this is gonna work? Would you worship? Would you worship? And the second you make the choice to put it on, here's what I know about worship. Some of you, you're not worshipers. And can I just tell you, that's okay, I get it. I, I was that way when I first started following Jesus. I was like, I don't know why people lift their hands or why we sing these songs. And I'm not, emotionally, I'm not into it. But here's what I know. If I will make the choice, okay, God, if this is your answer to sustain me when I need hope, then I'm gonna put it on. And I'm just, I'm just gonna worship. So some of you, some of you, you need just to make a little, just a little move. Maybe you're just, you're just standers right now. You're, you're a standing worshiper. Your hands in the pocket, standing, watching worship around you. Maybe you just take your hands out of your pocket. Maybe that's the only move you're comfortable with. Maybe it's like this. Maybe it's just like this. Just like this. Some of you, your wife would be blown away if you just went like this. Say, hi, he worshiped. I saw him today. If you don't know the words, just start mouthing watermelon. It's like, here's what happens. Everything from God, we could spend a long time talking about this, but here's my last thought. Everything from God works this way. 
God's power is there. He asks you to do one simple thing to trigger it. One simple thing. If you obey, when you understand God's ways and you understand that my obedience triggers God's work, then I go, okay, God, I'm gonna worship. I'll start to do this, I'll start to worship. When we worship, God works. So here's what I'd love for you to do. Would you stand? Would you stand? We're gonna take a second and we're gonna worship. Here's what my encouragement to you is this. Whatever you're most worried about, whatever gap you have in your life where you need to see God's faithfulness, maybe it's a friend that's far from God, a place in your life you need to see God show up. I just want you this morning to begin to worship. Why? Worship will strengthen your hope. It will, allow, it will sustain you in the moments when your circumstances are falling apart. And so this is our moment to respond. So church, this morning, let's just take a moment, let's trust God and let's worship Thanks together. for joining us. We pray you feel encouraged by this word. We would love to hear from you, so why not connect with us via the website at lifechurchhome.com or on our socials at Life Church Home. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.